As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back, everybody, to the Hold That Podcast podcast. I am your host, Chris Branch, here with my co-host, Brody Miller. Brody, we haven't recorded in about a week and a half, and in that period, LSU has been busy. Uh, You have been busy, uh, because it seems like the entire program is different than the last time we talked, which is an interesting thought for a top-tier program like LSU. But, you know, we were talking before we started recording about how we were we were waiting and waiting and waiting on Brian Kelly to hire coordinators and to fill some roster holes. And people got so impatient. And in the last two weeks, everything is new. He has been efficient. The entire staff is filled. Um, we have about 11 new players. So let's get into it. I mean, what is, what is your sense around the program? Like what, what has the last two weeks been like uh, keeping track of all this stuff? Yeah, no, it's, and I think you put it well that like the first month, really, yeah, the first full month of the Kelly regime was like kind of everything was in a weird way on hold, right? For a bunch of reasons. One, first focus was just kind of keeping those high school prospects, the commits and whatnot. Then, you, you know, and then you add in a lot of the staff moves they planned on making were kind of dependent on like seasons ending and, you know, the playoff and whatnot. So, you know, the Denbrock and House and Hankton hires couldn't happen for a while. And it was just everything was just on hold. And, and all of a sudden now staff is completely done. And yeah, like you said, 11 transfers already. And, and it's tricky. We always knew this was going to be, I mean, even if it was still the Ogeron era, this was going to be a heavy, massive portal year for LSU. Part of that's just because, and I cannot leave this part out, Ed Ogeron and that regime really, really left a troubled roster. I mean, the roster management for LSU was something a lot of us have been writing about, even like during the championship season. You know, like even as good as they were, like there was this kind of thing of like, they're mismanaging a lot of areas in this roster and things like that. And I don't think any of us could have ever imagined it would be at the point it is now where they are just depleted in areas. And then, then you add in, you know, just the climate we're in, the new rules with transfers, not having right. to sit out a year, and now you can take on seven more players to match the ones of left and all that. Now it's just, you know, and more and more players are leaving, and this is just a wild time. So LSU is probably always going to sign a bunch of transfers. Now it looks like they're going to sign, I don't know, 15 transfers or somewhere in that realm, which is just crazy and almost unprecedented. So yeah, this this last two weeks, things have absolutely been coming together. They have, I know Miles Frazier, which you know arguably is maybe even the biggest one of all. They signed him in December and some others around then. But for the most part, it's been just a ton this last week and a half just flying in. And we're going to go into so much depth on this. But yeah, it seems like LSU, it's been a really, I'll, I'll just say, it's been a, a successful week or two for Brian Kelly as LSU head coach. Kind of, they this rebuild is going to take far more than one year to get this roster back in the shape they want it. But they have at least patched a bunch of holes and kind of brought in a lot of guys that at least make you feel better about this season. I need you to help me with something, Brody, that I've been mulling over in my mind with all these transfers coming in because I think most LSU fans can say that outside of Joe Burrow and, you know, any other real transfers, LSU has not been a hub 
coming and going of transfers. And with the new climate, it is just a complete reset of the mentality because these players yeah. have a lot more freedom. And personally, I think that's a great thing. But also, it's perfect timing for LSU because, you know, before these last couple of years when the transfer market really changed, when you would get a transfer, it was like, why couldn't this guy cut it at the other <laughs> yep. program? Yep. You know, it was it was like, you know, if, if you told me two years ago. There was a damaged goods vibe to it, other than maybe quarterback. If you told me two years ago that we took two defensive backs from an Arkansas team, I would say, or how bad are we? Like, is, is is this roster like an FCS level? I mean, that's not an offense to Arkansas, but like, you know, why is and now it is like this interesting market where all these guys are putting in some some good time, some some good like it, it's like their LSU is buying high after they improved their stock, and it is this. Um, I don't know. It's, it's just fascinating where I don't even think about it that way. You know, I, the two guys I, I mentioned were two defensive backs from Arkansas that are coming. Uh, Joe Fusha and remind me of the other guy's name. Brody. Um, Greg Sorry, Brooks. I don't have Greg Brooks. And I, I honestly love those two because, it, you know, the old man in me initially was like, oh, God, like we're we're at the point where we have to get two defensive backs to fill the backfield from Arkansas. And you think about it and both guys were good. You know, they weren't forced out of Arkansas. It doesn't seem like it's not like they couldn't get on the field. And then both guys are from uh, South Louisiana area. So I, I really liked th- that kind of mentality is kind of molding how I think about this. And, you know, I, I know that I, I don't think the transfers are still like the optimum area to build your college roster yeah. just yet. But at the same time, when a roster has been mismanaged, like you said, and a new coach is coming in with expanded transfer options and a totally different mindset. I think Brian's done a great job. I mean, it, it seemed very methodical. It seemed very efficient. And it seems like he's gotten everybody he's gone after. I mean, I, I don't know of a high-profile transfer. Right. Osiris Torrance is a huge one. I mean, he was, you know, he's one of the best linemen in the country, period, from Louisiana, and he chose Florida mm-hmm. to follow Billy Napier. Uh, mm-hmm. There's some others, you know, definitely. But, yeah, no, the guys that they really put the resources on, they did really well with. And, no, I mean, I think you nailed it. I, I think there's just a reframing of our brain we have to do right now. Cause you're right. Historically, it's like you get a transfer and it's like, why, why is this like, you know, what's the damaged goods here? Why, why they get nudged out you know, all that stuff. Like is mm-hmm. it discipline issues? Are they just not good? And I think now you just, it's not that anymore. It is now you can leave freely. So now just the honest truth, it is more like free agency. Now I don't, yes. I don't think either of us feel it going into the old man debate about like what we feel about that. Because I don't think any of you care and just who cares. But it is just that's the situation now. So it's now a situation where Caleb Williams was thriving at Oklahoma. And now he can be like, you know what? I'm going to go to the market, see where I want to go play football. And, you know, maybe it's USC and go follow Lincoln Riley. Or, or Eli Ricks can leave LSU as a all, you know all-American level guy and then be like, I want to go play at Bama. Like, it isn't like some glaring red flag. So Greg Brooks and Joe Fusha are the best example probably are like – these are three-year SEC starters on a defense that the last two years has been one of the more tough to beat in the SEC. A huge turnaround mm-hmm. there, a massive part of that. And they're just like, you know what? We're Louisiana guys. Let's go in. Let's go play our last year at home together. You know, you see that a lot. Or you see the other side where it's your Kyron Lacey's at Louisiana or your, I don't know, your, uh, your you know, or Makai Garner at Louisiana or, or Tremont Shorts right. at East Tennessee. You know, guys who played really well. And like, hey, I want to see if I can make the next level. You know, I think that's just what's happening more. And we just need to reframe our thinking that 15 transfers isn't 15, like, desperation moves. And it is a little bit desperation right. move, right? Like, L- like let's not make LSU – Brian Kelly would rather not need to be bringing this many transfers in. Like, it is desperation. So, I guess I'm wrong there. But – but bringing in a few transfers is no longer desperation. It's just part of football now. It's just a way to improve your roster. And so, yeah, I think you put that really well. And it's just going to be a different time. But I guess where do you want to – like, do we want to dive into the players themselves because we haven't even really mentioned them much? Where do you want to go from here? Yeah, we should. We should. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I First off, from the objective beat writer perspective, who should I be more excited about? Most excited about on the list? Ooh, that's a great question. I think that's a tough question, right? I think my number one person you should be most excited about is probably Miles Frazier for me, the offensive tackle from FIU. Just because Mm -hmm. 
first off, you know, and again, this isn't necessarily the best metric, but he's one of the highest rated, you know, by 24-7 sports right now. But he is a freshman. He was, a, he was one of the athletics freshman All-American. Uh, he was the highest rated by pro football, pro football focus of any offensive freshman tackle. And... He allowed four sacks in 12 games. He's just a really good six foot five offensive tackle who is a ready-made starter and has three years of eligibility. So like that to me is a just huge, huge win because you are now like that is you have your tent pole established tackle for the next three years, two, you know, maybe two, but two, three years. That's huge. So I feel like he's number one. I think the one that probably gets in and Makai Wingo, by the way, is all SEC freshman as kind of a rotation D right. lineman at Mizzou. Like he's another, you know, really exciting one. But maybe that one doesn't rank as high just because they're like that's a luxury, right? The LSU D line's great already. So it's like that's maybe not as riveting. Noah Kane's the big name, right? Just because he was this he was a five star at one point, this huge prospect LSU went after. But he's just tricky. He's a huge talent. He still is, by the way, but he's been hurt like a lot. He, he is, I believe, if I recall, his 2020 season ended with injury. And then, you know, talking to people at Penn State, it just seems like this year, even though it's kind of unclear what, he was clearly injured this year and just wasn't really himself. So it's hard to know how excited you should get. But that's a big prospect going to a room that I know LSU's running back situation is still really talented. Like, they got five scholarship guys, and they're it's a talented room, but, like, a lot of uncertainty, though, right? Like, you know, John Emery, you know, has ineligibility issues, even though it sounds like he's on the right path right now. Trey Bradford transferred and came back, you know? Like, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, Armani Goodwin wasn't available for the bowl game. Like, there's just a lot of – you don't even know who's going to be there in six months. So, I think Noah Kane would be the other. But And then I'll, I'll close out with – I think Greg Brooks, though, is one of the best players. You know, I think he is just an – obvious first off corner even though o-line got all the attention early rightfully so because of how depleted it was after mcluthern and and all and then like flot went pro and all these guys kept leaving mm-hmm. suddenly corner is actually in way worse shape than line and we didn't even like really properly talk about that so brooks coming right. in as a right away slot you know nickel or maybe put him a corner three-year starter i feel like that actually next to frazier is probably the most important yes that's good thank you brody i <laughs> one one thing for framework, and uh, I'm going to be a good company man because our colleague Max Olson. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. Is is it? Well, he's he's doing this cool thing where really not a lot of other people that I know of are doing, where he's keeping a running top 25 list of available transfers, like available people who are in the portal. Bookmark so, that, everyone. Yeah, it's a resource. Well, his his latest, um, and we can include something in the in the uh, the show notes for it. But the one that was updated yesterday, now this is not updated for today. So in his top 25, the number five available player was Mikai Wingo, who is now an LSU commit. The, let's see, number 10 is Deion Smith. Sorry. See you (laughs) later, Deion. Good luck. Uh, Number 12 is Traymond Shorts, who committed today, offensive lineman. Uh, there's nobody else in the current top 25, but because he also keeps committed, a running. But yeah, like oh, he keeps okay, a running shoot. list of yeah. previous players who were ranked. So let me oh, read no, you. He the did that. Wow, came. that's awesome. Yes. So uh, first off, the number 15 person at one point was Kyron Lacey, wide receiver, came from ULL to LSU. Um, and then let's see, at number 20 at one point was Noah Kane, the running back, came to LSU from Penn State. Number 21 was West Weeks, great name. We didn't even great talk name. about him, linebacker from Virginia. Just um, sounds like he's going to go save the world someday in some superhero <laughs> no, movie. No, West Week sounds like the best friend. Anyway, go on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably like, yeah, some. We could vamp on that later over a couple of drinks. Yeah, Let's yeah, not do sure it right that. now in front of the people. Um, and then Greg Brooks was on the list as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, uh, there's. And I think there's some players. others that like he didn't even get a chance to rank. Mm hmm. Like he didn't right. like. It, I is, think Miles, it has been a very like quick like and yeah. Yes, he's, I think Miles Frazier was going to be super high, and then as before he started doing like as comprehensively as he is now, or stuff like that. Like that's the thing. By the way, shout out Max. I'm so glad you brought that up. The stuff he's doing is just wild right now. How on top of every transfer he is, like it's it's awesome. I was joking with a couple of the coworkers that I don't know if Max knows what he signed himself up for because <laughs> there's just there's so many players like you know. In, in in my daily newsletter, I started running a, a, like a portal update, and it it got overwhelming for me, just to like, what's even the threshold to pick? You know, what makes news and what isn't when there's like 
15 players going back and forth, you know, every day and then trying to discern the quality in there. Uh, it's it's hard. So there's and even more than that. It, he's like talking to coaches throughout the country while he's doing it to figure right. out like what they think of each of these guys. It's like, man, tip of the cap, the max. So and his it, editor, it been a great Eric Singel, who for, has to update this every day. <laughs> I know. Well, it, it is a credit to Max, who um, is forging a new frontier, especially for us LSU fans who are uh, needing to know all this stuff as we fill the entire roster with transfers. Not the entire roster, but it feels that way. So the story is, is that LSU has been very busy, but it's also been, it seems like from the outside, it seems like Brian has been uh, doing this very efficiently and very smartly and there's no guys that I'm like, oh, really? We got that guy? I don't know. Maybe I'm being a homer here and I'm convincing myself like I do every year that everything's going to be great. But I'm pleased for now. And we have a long offseason. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fascinated, honestly, because it, to see Noah Kane. Because it seems like all of these other guys are like very established. Like I, I feel like these offensive yeah. linemen, the, you know, the defensive backs from Arkansas, the, the linebackers, every, all the people he's bringing in, they're established. It's like they weren't not playing. They weren't, um, you know, booted out of out of somebody's program. And LSU was taking a flyer on a guy that is not proven. Like all these guys are coming in, and I'm like, okay, you're probably going to play. You're probably a pretty quality player. Like there's no there's no questions. There's questions with Noah Kane, good and bad. I mean, he's a, he's a five star prospect who, you know, had trouble with injury um, and clearly found himself out of a spot. Penn State so I, I'm just excited to see what he can do if he if he can overcome those injury worries and look like a five-star running back I mean it's 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 an interesting addition to a very uh influx running back room like uh have we heard anything recently on John Emery yeah so last I've heard with him is it they do believe he will be eligible for the season um you know okay with that situation I will always defer to that I truly give up on knowing really the ins and outs of that whole dynamic. It's chaos, but uh, I, yeah. And I've heard yeah. some things that he's pretty locked in, you know, he is actually okay. doing the right things and is kind of really stepping up knowing this is like kind of his big year. He needs to do it. And the bummer is I think last year kind of was going to be not that I, I don't think that would have mm-hmm. changed sells you going, you know, six and six. I don't think it would change games much, but I think he would have had a big year. So it is kind of a shame. So yeah, I, I do think, yeah, but still adding Noah Kane is, is, is crucial there. Not crucial, so, so actually, it's imp- but it, well, it I mean, helps bolster. I, and I think we're going to get into the roster management part because I think it's fascinating how there are some areas where it's like obvious, right? Like LSU needed, you know, linemen. They needed DBs. Linemen. They kind of, they needed at least one linebacker. You know, like there was some obvious mm-hmm. ones. And then I think there were some from talking to people in the program where it was a little more, uh, hey, this is just a good opportunity. Why not? You know, like, and, and there are some areas they actually kind of told people they didn't pursue people that were really good because they just didn't need it. Like, you know, I've talked to people, like, basically, you know, and, you know, Kelly has a, from what I gather, and I think this isn't special to him. I think most coaches do, but he's been doing this a long time. A pretty solid, strict model of what he wants roster management to look like. You know, like how many scholarships at X spot, how many, how you want to break up the year so there's a balance, so it's not situations where you're like losing you know, six guys in one spot in one year. Like there's mm-hmm. a ba- he is a model he wants, so they're working off that model, sure. But you know, and, and Brian Polian, you know, is a special teams coordinator and recruiting coordinator, and a guy who definitely he is definitely one of his, you know his lieutenants, you know, and and somebody who I think he is, has running a lot of this process. I think those guys have been really big in, you know, certain areas. It's like, Hey, we're not going to go for that area, even though that guy's really good because we just need need to focus on other spots. And I think there's some, I think running back with Kane is a great example of they're stable at running back. Definitely not a major need, but like we said, there's just like a weird lack of security. You don't know who's going to really be there in six months. So when Kane presented himself and he's a Louisiana guy, and like you said, his talents there, it was like, that just makes sense. You know, it's like, all right, this is a smart move. And I think the other example like that is punter. A lot of people were really, really, really confused when LSU added Jay Bramblett, the, you know, the starting punter at Notre Dame. And I think, you know, the, the best way I'd describe that to people, because and obviously they are surprised because Peyton Todd was basically the number one punter in the country coming in and mm. still hasn't played. Um, from talking to people, I get the sense they still think Todd's talent is really good. Like he's a big future. 
But, and, you know, there's a reason Avery Atkins was given the punting job this year, right? You know, he's their kickoff specialist and became their starting punter. And it wasn't exactly great, but they, st- they stuck with him. And, and I think there's a sense that Todd's going to be great, but he's not really there yet. So I think that's an example of, yeah, they could have stuck with Todd, but then the Bramblett situation is a guy who they knew at Notre Dame, pulling a new at Notre Dame, and there's a connection there. And it was just like, all right, you know, let's, this just makes sense to, to fill this hole for one year. So I think there's like different categories going on, right? And you also have your other categories like receiver and linebacker where like the top's probably okay, but it's like the depth's just weakened and you need to get a little more, you know, again, getting closer to that model, that rubric they want for what they want their numbers to look like. So Kyron Lacey isn't a need, but he makes you feel a lot better about the numbers or West Weeks probably, West Weeks is a little bit of a need, but not like dire, but it's like, all right, now you feel a little better at linebacker. Yeah. I'm curious to see how Kyron Lacey fits in because... Me too. I mean, the wide receiver room is loaded. Like, I, I have no worries about the wide receivers at all. I mean, like, I, you know, we, we noted on the list that Deion Smith was leaving. And while I really like Deion Smith and he flashed a lot of talent this year, the guy didn't see the field for like, it, for what seemed like the last, or at least didn't see the ball for the last five, six weeks of the season. Um, and that's not a, that wasn't a bad thing to me. I mean, <laughs> A lot of other talented wide receivers were playing in his place. And I, I just, with Kayshawn coming back, uh, everybody that we saw late in the season, I'm, I feel great about the wide receiver room. And maybe Kyron adds some senior stability that uh, LSU needs. But I, the, the, least, the position I'm least worried about is wide receiver. No, yeah, I, 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 I get that. And, and Deion Smith is, a, is just, I'm trying to figure out how I can put this, you know, safely, is like, I think Deion Smith is actually a stud. Like, you can make an argument he's the most talented of any of those guys, believe it or not, receiver-wise. Mm-hmm. He is a stud. But I, I guess I'd say he had some off-the-field stuff this season that I think, you know, we'll be dove into down the road at some point. But um, it was I think that's part of why his production went down at some point. He just had a, a very weird year, it seems like. And so, yeah, I, I do think – but to your actual point, yeah, it's it's a the receiver room's in a strange spot where it's like – the top is loaded. Like the top is as good as it's seemed in quite a while. You know, mm-hmm. last year was supposed, 2020 was supposed to be loaded like that, but then because of opt outs and injuries, it just ended up not being. And that, but right now, I mean, they are between, yeah, Keishon Butte. I don't know. I mean, he was probably going to win the Blitnikoff before he went down. So you'd assume he's like number yes. one receiver right now going into the season. Mm-hmm. People kind of forgot about it because the injury, and that's just how those things work. But still, he's number one. And then Besh, Neighbors, Thomas Hilton, and by the way, Jenkins is a clear, reliable starter. Like yes. that is, you know, a loaded, loaded group. So that's but but with you know your Trey Palmer's leaving, your Devonte Lee's leaving, Deion Smith, you know, and other guys leaving for the draft. Like just there's not stability after the top and receivers an area where you need like eight or nine like just the for numbers right. perspective so yeah I, well but like well that's why i'm saying i'm so fascinated and i'm glad you brought it up was kyron lacy he's a really good player he's thought really highly of he was a i believe was he sunbelt freshman of the year you know he's a lot of talent so i'm actually really with you i have no real frame of reference for where he could slide in like is he just suddenly the sixth guy is he actually a guy who's competing for a starting spot i i actually don't know and i have a story coming out you know probably in minutes honestly uh from recording this so at some point when you guys are listening but uh you know he falls in the category though of guys who would have loved to come to lsu out of high school and you know i mm-hmm. heard that and it's in the story like he got taken out there to the field for, you know, on this visit about a week ago, walked out, stall Tiger Stadium's field, and just literally broke down into tears. Like, just started crying, you know, because of wow. just how big a moment that is for a kid from Thibodeau who couldn't, didn't have SEC offers before. So, I, I think, I don't even know if he's coming here because it's about starting as much as, like, one, he has eligibility left, and two, it's just like he wants to be at LSU. Tell me if I'm off base because that really. The a, a very good common thread between both the coaching staff and these players, and I, and I briefly touched on it earlier, but I think it's really smart for Brian to go get these guys who are from Louisiana because it really helps him like uh, politically as the Midwest guy who the storylines you know a couple weeks ago were about uh, his accents and the speech <laughs> he gave at the basketball game and the the more narrative about him being an outsider and he he brought in a lot of good coaches from the area and he's bringing a lot of these guys home that are 
not bad players, but like you telling me that story. I mean, I haven't read your story because it's not out, but like makes me like him even more. And there's, there's this thread, I think in the LSU community fair or not that like, we want guys that want to be here. Yeah. And clearly he's getting guys that want to be here. And, you know, it's, it's not really fair to say these transfers that are leaving didn't want to be here. I don't think that's fair at all. Although you, you will hear that in many fan circles right now because, you know, guys that got hurt last year and then didn't come back or the situations change. I don't begrudge any of them for that. Um, it will hurt to see Eli Ricks in an Alabama uniform, oh, yeah. but that's the only one that stings for me. But he, even so, I mean, the, the, the guy who recruited all these guys is gone. So I'm not, I'm not mad at them, but I do think it is, it is really smart and really cool that Brian is going out and getting all these Louisiana guys who clearly want to be here. And this is not some, we compared this to free agency earlier and, and I think it's smart functionally, but I don't think this is like a, well, let me go get my reps in at LSU and then leave. It, yeah. it feels like a lot of these guys really want to be here and maybe wanted to be here out of high school. And for whatever reason, it didn't work out and they've gone and proved themselves elsewhere. And now they're going to come and, play hard and, and, you know, really want to play. So, um, no, it's, it's really cool. And, and I'm excited for that, for that aspect of this whole roster and coaching staff coming together because my man, Brian really needed that after getting hired and being the outsider and, you know, the, the way he has kind of reshaped that building, uh, personnel wise from the big names like Kevin Falk and Eddie Kennison and all these beloved names to, you know, I think you mentioned on the last podcast that, He's kind of uh, reshaping even a lot of the support staff roles. So, oh yeah, it's a. It, I think it's a good strategy, both uh, to make me feel better and make fans feel better about it, but also to just, I don't know, have some good currency in the in the community for it. And I think it also works. I mean, we'll see how it goes next year, but uh, it, it, it's encouraging right now. No, I, I think that's actually a really good path to go down. Is that you know just talking to people for the story and just talking to people about kind of how they're trying to go about this whole process and rebuild things because they are. I mean, they are rebuilding things. Uh, there has been a clear emphasis I kept hearing, and it can sound corny, but it's just a little true. I mean, it is like wanting people who want to be here and also getting the right guys and things like that because there were culture issues in that building. There are a lot of discipline issues in that building. I don't think it, we even gave it enough like, because of the roster situation being as chaotic as it was for that bowl game, we didn't even properly discuss how many players were academically ineligible or things like that because they just like stopped going to class because of how crazy things ended and all that. And the, you know, no one in the last administration was really like keeping tabs on that stuff. And you know, I, I think that's really shouldn't be overlooked. So as much as there was mm-hmm. a little bit of sky is falling, and by the way, the sky was kind of falling a little bit. Like it's not downplay it, but like with all these players leaving, and yeah, Eli Ricks leaving and all that, that's bad for look for LSU. Deion Smith leaving. But I pro and it's stuff I can't exactly go into at length, but more than people think, like a lot of these guys are leaving they're not getting told to leave. I probably like they're but like, you know, nudged I don't know, or just it's not working out. You know, I think Trey Palmer had discipline issues. Dwight McLeod, let's put it this way, was not eligible for the bowl game, so who knows what his spring and fall would have looked like. Um, you know, mm-hmm. or Eli Ricks, fantastic player, but you know, there was frustration about how much he wanted to practice and things like that. Uh you know, there's there's just a lot of guys who left who weren't exactly LSU sitting here being like, oh like, oh no, you know, even though the roster's in trouble. They didn't want to lose them. Like they wanted all these players. They're talented. And I and there's just been a real theme in how they're going through this portal process of all right, let's get the guy who you know, let's avoid – there's many – I can't go into specifics, but there, there are a lot of really BTs. highly touted football players who would make a lot of sense at LSU who I was told they kind of – they're not going for it or they didn't go for it. They just kind of passed even though they might hit a huge need because they have headaches. They have problems. They aren't – you know, they don't want to touch them. And, and I think, you know, don't be – every team does that to some extent. You know, the old – LSU, you know, the Ojan era did to some extent. I think toward the end they started failing on that. But, yeah, I think that's a big thing. I think the guys they're bringing are guys who really want to be here. The guys, you know, Tremont Shorts is somebody else used as a quick example because one staffer went on about him to me. is like, you know, he he's a one-year guy. You know, it's not like he's, like, going to be here forever like Miles Frazier. But he's a good football player, right? FCS All-American can play, probably plug-and-play starter, I'd assume. But they're like, mm-hmm. he's also an awesome you know, kid, like he's going to be huge for that room. He's going to be huge for 
you know, leadership and character and all those things. So it's like that's so now you're feeling better about that room because now you're bringing shorts in to kind of help. Like they are kind of like a Liam Shanahan did to some extent. So I, I do think there's a real focus on that and it's not tangible. and We won't even really see the benefits for maybe three years, but it, it's a noticeable thing. You know, Kelly is and again, it's for good and bad. Like Kelly is no nonsense a little bit and can be a little harsh sometimes and can be kind of. It can seem cold-blooded in some ways. You know, I mean, a lot of the staff got fired. Like, a, a lot of people you would have assumed were staying were fired. But it's mm-hmm. like, and that's, again, for better or worse. Like, I'm not saying it's good yet, but it's like he is genuinely looking. He knows how to build a program. He's done it a lot of places, and he, he has history of knowing how to kind of get rid of the stuff that's holding things back and reshuffle it. So I guess I'd just say, like, again, I don't know if it's good, but give it time because he does seem to have a literal plan. Let's let's talk about before we get. I, I want to touch on that more with talking about the coaching staff. But before we move on from the transfer stuff, LSU does have another signing day coming up in early February, and they have eight spots left. Nine. Uh, they they are currently at twenty four scholarship players, and they can get to thirty two. Correct. They have eight spots left. I think it's obvious to me that defensive back is still a giant need depth wise, right? Probably. I just don't know how much they can, you know, like I don't know how many guys are still available that they would, you know, it's just there comes a point where there's only so many guys good enough. So I don't know that, that you can even get. So I don't know how much they can get. You're telling me we are sliding back, like at this point, you slide back into the, what the old transfer market was? It's like, oh, not necessarily. These guys can't play. No, okay. that not so, necessarily. I think tight end's an example, so, though, where, yeah, I, I think tight end's a need, but. They don't love what they've seen in the portal. They just flat out haven't. There's nobody right now that they have really pursued there uh, for a bunch of different reasons, both talent and character. You know, so it's like that's an example. But uh, you know, there's others they would have liked, I'm sure. Um, but DB, yeah, you are probably right. Like that. Okay, let's go through it ourselves right now. Okay, Sage Ryan's back. You know, he's he had injury mm-hmm. problems, but really good player. You assume he's good enough to at least be in the rotation. Greg Brooks, you assume is starting. Um, and then the, and Makai Garner, I don't know. I actually don't, I would not lie to you and pretend I know if he's like good enough to right away start, but they have nobody else there. So yeah, you are right. Like, and then at safety, you have Jay Ward, Major Burns returning at starter, but Joe Fusha is there now. And he at least gives you some flexibility where like Jay Ward was a corner at first. Like maybe Jay Ward has to go back to corner. And maybe mm-hmm. Burns and Fusha are your starters at safety, or maybe you do some of three safety stuff. And also at least they have depth at safety right where it's like Derek Davis is coming up you know he's a former top 100 recruit he's on his way up and Jordan Tolles is still a talented player he's just kind of figuring stuff out he's on his way up Matthew Langlois I don't know how you say it I'm forgive me um you know he's uh, a guy they really like actually he's a good football player you know three-star prospect mm-hmm. but a good player so at least there's stability there where you can now move other guys around so I'm just curious that's me saying okay maybe Ward goes back to corner Garner Sage Ryan Brooks like that's four but so to answer your point, at least you feel like you might have like a starting DB field defensive backfield now. But you're right, there's not depth there. Like Pig Cage did some great stuff in the bowl game. He, he at least seems like you would put him in a game and be comfortable. But there's you know Radar Jones is still there, um, but I, he was not eligible for the bowl game from what I understand. Um, and then who am I forgetting? Um, oh. McGee, who also had to play in the bowl game, he's there. But, yeah, there's not depth you feel comfortable with there. So I think if they could get another corner, I think you'd feel great about it. But I think the thing I'd remind people, and I'm sorry, I know you were in the middle of your own point. Actually, this went on way too long, so please don't hate me. But okay. uh, I, I, I was reminded they are going to leave some spots open for after spring, most likely. And I, okay. I would remind people Joe Burrow didn't transfer till after spring. Um, right. Mike Jones didn't transfer till after spring. Uh, Terrence Alexander there's a lot of guys like that so like there will probably be others who hit the market after spring that's pretty common those are often good players but uh but yeah so that's corner, point, I would Brody. agree with you sorry that corner is probably still well, something you know you it, it's interesting I was uh I was kind of while you were talking I was also scrolling through Max's list and the only cornerback in his top 25 is Amir Speed at Georgia who a fifth year senior and he started got hurt and then Keely Ringo who had the pick six in the national title game kind of assumed his spot and didn't let go. So uh, he's in the portal, but you're right. I mean, it might be slim pickings out there until, you know, some starting roles and backup roles get defined after spring. 
uh, and maybe we see some movement there. So, and maybe to some extent, is, also, we just need to remember this is going to be a multi-year process of getting this roster back where it needs to be. Like, right? You're gonna you're they're gonna try as much as you can to patch the hole for this year, but it's like maybe to some extent adding two corners is all you. That's a lot. Like, like two starting corners. That's a lot. Maybe that's all you can really do. And also, you got Laterrence sure. Welch coming in. You know, you got some corners coming mm-hmm. in, and it's like maybe to some extent that is just the best you can do. And then it's going to take another year. You know, I just don't know. We've seen freshman corners play before immediately. It's not, <laughs> they've done all it's right. Not new. And that's, that's, it hasn't largely been a bad thing. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody's coming in on Derek Stingler, Eli Ricks's level, but still, I, you know, I don't know. Um, let's, let's get into that coaching staff because the coaching staff is set. Uh, you know, that, that has been a big um, open question mark until I guess it was, Last week, when Cortez Hankton got hired, I think uh, the press release just went out this week. It was week, Sunday. But yeah. Sunday, press release went out one Monday. Um, but it's it it seems like you know. Um, I think I said on these airwaves that I wasn't super worried because I am choosing to trust Brian Kelly until he gives me a reason not to trust him with wins and losses. But it seems like Brian was really ready to go with Denbrock. You know, we talked about Denbrock last time. Uh, with House and then with Cortez, you know, he was waiting on these guys to finish their commitments to their teams, and that's that's great. And you know, it's cool. I, I don't know what kind of role Hankton played on the national title team, I, like inside the building. I, I know his title, and he was uh, passing game coordinator, wide receivers yes, coach, right? Correct. Yeah. It's it's just I, I think it's a good look to have you know the team that just looked like the best team in the country once again, uh, and finally winning a national title. Uh, bringing some of that pedigree back over here. Um, and I don't know, it, it, it just feels really stable from the outside right now. I, I don't feel like any worries. I mean, my biggest worry still is Denbrock, to be honest. Um, but I'm choosing to trust right now. I'm not going to freak out until uh, she goes three and out on its first possession. And then I'm going to, you know, call <laughs> up the radio lines and, and start talking like, you know, somebody from anyway, uh, that was going to end up in problematic territory. I'm sure for some of our listeners, um, you know, no, you're good. Go. go, Yeah, no, I, it just, it all feels very stable. And I think that is a good thing. Do, am, am I, am I right on that? Am I on the right track? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I think I'm really struggling to come. And I obviously, I wrote a piece two days ago, kind of break down all my thoughts, but it's a weird staff because it's just hard to, pinpoint you know because it's like a lot of not knowing and i think you kind of touched on that Mm -hmm. too uh not in terms of like it's just not knowing roles and not knowing who and this is the hardest part of i think evaluating coaching all the freaking time is just knowing like how exactly you know each guy actually contributed to their last stop and all that stuff because like denbrock's the best example like you know pete thamel reported yesterday that gino guadugli uh who's been promoted to oc at cincinnati he reported that he actually called the plays this year. And, you know, and it's like, oh, wait, so did else? And again, you know, I, I've heard, I think Mike Denbrock's a good football coach. And, and I, I think there's often a misconception that like OC means you're always the best play caller. Sometimes it means you know how to build an offense, but you're not the play caller. Like there's actually a lot more nuance, I think, that goes into that stuff than I think a lot of people think. But so it's like, but at the same time, now it looks like else you might have just hired an OC for a bigger job that didn't call plays at the last job or at least the last mm-hmm. year. And I think that's a good example, though, of just kind of the weird some things you get into with this. Or Hankton. You know, Hankton's a guy who got credit for landing five top 100 receivers to, across 18 and 19. And then apparently, you know, from what I gather, it had some big misses recruiting-wise the last two years. And I think Georgia didn't exactly, like, fight to keep him. So it's like, yeah, Cortez mm. Hankton, no-brainer, great hire, right? Really established receivers coach. New Orleans natives will probably be even more like useful here in a weird way. And yeah, like no brainer. That's a good hire. There's no world where that's not a good hire, but there's just these weird nuances, right? Of like how big it really is and all that. Um, So when I look at the staff as a whole, I think it's like, they're kind of hmm, house to me seems like the no brainer. I think Matt house is a really good hire and a great DC hire, but then the rest of the D and Jamar Kane, a D line is a great hire. And steeples and cooks are just harder to pinpoint. Cooks is a guy who used to be like a skyrocketing stock in the last few years has more been like an analyst. And at Texas Tech, so it's like his stocks drop. So I don't know. Maybe he's actually still a great coach. I don't think these things are all or nothing. 
And Steeples is a clearly like a really fascinating dude, really young NFL corner built Desmet uh, into like a power at St. Louis and kind of rebuilt that himself. And then went to the NFL for one year at a high school after being a high school coach. Like clearly he's an th- exciting guy, but it's also like, He's never coached, really. Like, you know, like, for, like mm-hmm. in this kind of way. So you just don't know. And then offense, it's like the opposite, where I think Denbrock is harder to be, like, you know, riveted about, you know, like we said. Right. Like he's, he's, I think he's clearly going to be a good offensive coach and help the offense. I don't know if he's the play caller. I don't know if he's some schematic guru. I also don't know how much Brian Kelly's really running the offense, you know, like, he most is until like 2016, he always called the offense. And I wonder if he mm-hmm. might be going back to that, or maybe it's like, you know, they're working really close together. But but, other, but after Denbrock, that offensive staff seems fantastic. Joe Sloan getting in LaTeX OC to be your quarterback coach. That's a, I think that's a huge hire. Frank Wilson, huge hire. Don't even need to go into that. Hankton, yeah. obviously, like we said, great hire. And Brad Davis, I think, really highly of. So, like, does that make any sense where it's like, one side, the top is less sure, but the, the rest of the staff looks awesome. And one side, I love the coordinator hire, and I just have literally no idea what to make of the position coaches. So it's just, oh, I don't know, man. I'm so all over the place because I just don't know. But I think it's a good staff. I just don't know if it's a great one. It might be. Like I said, I mean, a lot of these hires seem like stable. Even even the ones you have slight worries about still have a lot of uh, pluses in their corner. You know, like you're talking about Kerry Cooks was a rising star at some point. And then for some reason he fell off a little bit, but like still, I, I, like I said, I'm, I am choosing to trust Brian Kelly because Brian has had a really great track record of hiring coaching staff, uh, personnel. Yeah. And I Kelly mean, trusts over the last big time. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm good with it. And, and, and like I said, until they give me a big reason to worry on the field, I'm not, I mean, and, and I'm sure there's, this year is going to be a, a big feeling out year, and you know we were so far away from the first snap, but still, we're we're fully focused on that now that it's officially the off season. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it all what you said all makes sense. It wasn't it wasn't winding or anything like you worry about, but um, it's just going to be curious. It's, it's so new. It's so new. There's like, I think it's a really good thing, and that. Scott Wood is empowering Brian Kelly to remake this entire program in his image and what he wants it to look like. And I, I think that's a great thing because it gives somebody actual autonomy and there's, there's no um, long seated power struggles or existing, you know, things that have been going on for 20 years. Um, but at, on the other side, it's all new. Everybody's still going to be figuring out their roles. There's, there's not a huge foundation in place. Uh, with a lot of these uh, new roles and new organizational structures, et cetera, et cetera. It's all really new. And I think that can be scary in a way, but I also think it's really exciting because this newness comes from a place of, you know, Brian Kelly built Notre Dame into this stable winning power. And that might sound stupid, but we've been through this, but you know, Notre Dame was not great when he got there and was really flimsy, honestly, for most of my life growing up you know, watching college football and watching them be good one year and terrible the next. And then, you know, he built the sustained excellence there with one blip and then came back better after his little blip. So I think there's a lot to be excited about. And now we just have to, the the worst part is that we have to wait. (laughs) We have to wait so long, but, um, I, I, I don't really have anything else, you know, um, is there anything else that I miss, Brody, that uh, the people need to know? I mean, you know, I, I did include this question on our thing. Like I said, this is a, a completely new operation in there. And you are somebody whose job is to have relationships. And I'm sure it's been interesting for you getting to know or trying to get to know all these new people. You know, you, you will over the next few months. Just can you can you give me what the vibes are like around the program? I mean, you know, I, I know it's a lot of new people shuffling in. And, and have you gotten a chance to just... Um, a vibe check the place out. <laughs> Some. It's been a really weird few weeks because about a week or two ago, that was when, like, it was almost like, it felt like it was, like, Black Thursday. It was just, like, because eh, it was mm-hmm. Thursday. Like, every analyst except, like, two or three was fired. Operations people who had been there forever were, you know, let go. Like, it was just, like, it just felt like, it's like, oh, God. And, you know, I think I said this on our last pod. I got a sense from some people that, you know, Kelly, and some of these people that were let go were, 
kind of more Woodward, you know, like it's a mix, like some of the stuff, it is a lot of nuances to it, but, um, but yeah, it just seemed like Kelly looked around, evaluated for about a month and, you know, was basically like, Hey, I got to redo this thing from the bottom. And that's not a great look for the past regime and whatnot. And a lot of people who very sadly lost their jobs and some, I'm not saying I agree with some, I think had a lot of value, but maybe you just need to change. I don't know. But I do. So I, I said to say there's a weird vibe in that building of kind of like, because, you know, I think the equipment stats really the only group that's like untouched, you know, it, it's wild. So I think there's a lot of like, Oh my God, this is wild in here. But I do think that this new staff, there is an optimism. There's some people, you know, I, I talk to people close to Kelly who are just like, you know, like he, he's pretty, you know, he, he feels like there's a huge task in front of him, quite frankly. That is something that I can't repeat enough. Like this is not going to be a quick rebuild. And I don't think Kelly thinks it is either. I think this is going to take a little while. Um, but there is a little bit of like, you know, I had one person say like, Hey, I was talking to Kelly and we're like, Hey, if these are the 13 high school guys we were able to keep on six weeks notice, imagine what we do with a year you know or like you know i think there's a little mm-hmm. bit of that feeling uh there is some optimism on kind of the staff they built and the way they can get this thing rolling and a little bit of like this is the new era of lsu there is that optimism that is starting to grow you are starting to see that a lot of you know personnel people tweeting constantly like you know you got better today and stuff like that there's a little bit of that and i think some of the I don't know, the BS of the old regime is gone. That's kind of freeing people up in some ways to do their job better. I think that's a real thing. Okay. But so, yeah, I think that's a winding, not helpful answer of basically saying, I think it's a tough time in that building right now. And a lot of people are kind of like uneasy, but at the same time, I do think there's an optimism of like, all right, we're building something new and we're actually doing it the right way. Yeah. I'm excited to see what the, uh, the tenor is, you know, maybe as spring practice starts and after spring and see how we're feeling then. Um, before we go, I do want to mention, because the last podcast that we recorded was right before the bowl game, uh, oh, that bowl game, the, the bowl game will stick with me for a really long time for a lot of weird reasons. Uh, it was a tough watch. You know, everybody listening to this podcast probably watched the bowl game or knows all the storylines, but I do just want to shout out John Trey Kirkland. Like, I, I know that after the A&M game, there, there's a lot of players over these last two years who have really endeared themselves to me, and I'm sure a lot of other people in the fan base, uh, guys like Damone Clark and John Trey and you know other people I'm forgetting, Ty Davis-Price, that really contributed in times where it seemed like a lot of people were bailing on us, whether mentally or I, I, physically too. I, I don't know. It, it was just um, what he did taking over quarterback duties in such a weird game. And then the, the game he had, I mean, the fact that they, uh, he had his third touchdown pass be an 80 yard bomb as time ran out on a bad loss, just encapsulates the entire last two years of this program. And he seemed like a guy who really loved playing here and who really gave his all. And I don't know, man, it made me want to buy a John Trey Kirkland Jersey. It, you know, it, he will not be associated much with uh, a greatness at LSU because he was a young guy on that title team, but he was really fun. And it, it really uh, brings me back to what I love about college football and what I love about, you know, this program is guys like him. So I wanted to say my piece there. I, do you have any reflections from the bowl game that's going to stick with you? I mean, largely it was a forgettable game. No, I think the John Tree Kirkland appreciation post is uh, the, the move. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, <laughs> In both good and bad, but something about the, that last touchdown just felt like, and that whole game just felt like a, just like one last woof to this last yes. two years. And but like it ending with that touchdown was just like almost an example. And this is gonna sound mean, but like an example of just how these last two years have like just my viewing of football has just been reframed. Like LSU football forever for a very long time, there's just a general baseline. And all of a sudden you're watching mm-hmm. a team that's at the point where like skinny slot receivers are throwing touchdowns and it's like a woo moment. And you're just like, This isn't normal football anymore. And it hasn't been for two years. It like it's just even like even going back to like, I don't know, the Max Johnson wins against Florida or like so many of these games, like it just didn't look like football anymore. <laughs> That makes sense. I, I mean, but still, like that win against Florida was amazing. Like, oh my god, yeah. There, no, this isn't like there was so it's just many like high so much about this was so yeah. weird. It was just it was weird. bizarre. And I'm just like, man, I am hoping to getting back to covering just like normal looking football, where our analysis after the game is just like, 
ah man, I don't know about that coverage. <laughs> I'm looking right. forward to oh, it just man, getting they, a little they, more. They, they, what are they doing calling cover three with three minutes left in the fourth <laughs> yeah, quarter? Like, you know, you know, like, D line's not getting quite enough pass rush. You know, just <laughs> stuff like that. I'm looking forward to that and not just like this weird place we are. But I'm sorry, that took like, not, I can, took us away I, from our I point. Mean, Hell yeah, John Shaker. The, the freeze frame for me is I can still see it on my TV screen of of John Trey and um, who was it? it? Was Chris Hilton right? They caught the touchdown so. pass. Yeah. And uh, them them celebrating, like jumping up in the air and body checking each other as the scoreboard says zero and LSU loses by 20, but it's the touchdown moniker is flashing as zero seconds on the clock. I'm just like, what What a way to end this <laughs> weird era. But I mean, at least it was fun at, at points. And, you know, John Trey embodied a lot of that fun. So I, I wanted to say my piece on him. He deserves a place in your heart of LSU lore that you can you can tell your people uh, going forward. He makes for great trivia, just like True. a lot of these last two years will make for great trivia in the large scheme of LSU football, but he deserves some love, so I wanted to give him some. Um, that's that's all I got, Brody. Uh, the podcast you know, has been um, held. I, I, I would, the podcast has been held. It is, it is gonna be held all off season. Uh, we wanna get back to a weekly schedule. Um, so we will, uh, the last thing, uh, if you are still here, which uh, God bless you, if you're still here, uh, tweet me how you feel about the program right now, because I think Brody and I, uh, you know, captured all the nuance of it, but it's it's a lot of new stuff. I mean, I, I think a lot of people are hesitant about, you know, what to expect and what even to know. So tweet me and let me know how you're feeling. I'll read some responses on the next podcast and, uh, we'll go from there. So Well, thanks for hanging out, Brody. Thank you, my dude. All right. See you guys next week.